Hello and welcome to my podcast, Whisper in the Shadows, the true story of a real-life undercover cop. I'm Michael Bates, and I was a police officer for 15 years in one of the country's state police forces. I was also an undercover cop for over two years, and all the episodes of this podcast are my true stories of what it's really like to be an undercover cop. Rather, I was Michael Bates. So, full disclosure, Michael is not actually my real name. It was my COVID identity I used on most of my operations. Everyone has a notion of what undercover policing is all about. Whether you think they are a narc, a COVID operative, a dog, or an undercover cop, most people seem to confuse plainclothes police with being undercover. There is a very big difference though. Most plainclothes police don't wear a uniform, so they aren't as obtrusive in public Being covert is completely different though. You become immersed in the world of your targets. When you're a police officer, part of your role is to investigate crimes. This means you try and find evidence to prove the person you have arrested has committed that crime. Now this evidence can consist of physical, verbal, video and witnesses. When you're an undercover police officer though, you are the evidence. And you are the reason someone gets convicted of the crimes. That is both exciting and dangerous. So, why don't we get on with the next episode? Episode 8, The Target, Part 4 In this episode, I'll not only be looking at one of my favourite targets, Buzz, but also his connection, Wayne. I will also delve into one of Danny's buys that goes awry. Again. Buzz was, in general terms, an alright guy. I guess you could say I kind of liked him. Now, that never stopped me from doing my job, though. I think one of the hardest parts of being a UC is human nature. I learned it is very hard to pretend to like someone on an ongoing basis and have that familiarity with them. You had to sacrifice a part of yourself each time you met with these people. You had to stop being a human being in some sense. It is hard to articulate even now how I felt. In one sense, you were cold and calculating knowing that by befriending them, making them open up, making them talk and thinking you were on their side, only to use use all of that against them to have them arrested and very probably jailed. Then, on the other, you actually got to know them and while some, like Tommy, were dead set pieces of shit, some you felt sorry for. They were in a situation because of a dependency they had. Part of me knew that didn't excuse them for breaking the law, but part of me also knew but there for the grace of God could have been me or you. You can't let it play too much on your mind or your psyche. You are there to do a job. You had to have a cynical and cold mindset, but I can also see how some people cross that line as it isn't as easy to stay on for the mere reason that we are human. Okay, enough philosophical garbage. So in the last episode, I had just picked Buzz up from the police station after he'd been arrested. He had taken me somewhere nice and quiet and asked me if I was an undercover cop. He now had all the heat on him and a perception he may actually have been compromised and was narking himself. This meant I had a unique opportunity to try and get up to the next level without casting too much suspicion. I had been trying to find a way to get further up the chain with Buzz for weeks. He went through stages of trusting me and then being paranoid I was a copper. So coming out and asking him for no reason was going to make him really suspicious. Now though, I had a golden opportunity, and I wasn't going to let it slip. Listen mate, you're going to be pretty hot right now for a little bit. 
I don't want to get caught up with the coppers. What if they're watching you? I asked him. They're not. It's okay, Mick, he replied. Yeah, but you don't know that. You don't know that, do you, given all the heat you've got? Maybe I should get my gear somewhere else? That's up to you, Mick, but I can tell you that I am all good. I then said to him, Hmm, I'm not sure, mate, to be honest. I don't want to get caught. Hey, I think you should be laying low. But I mean, you could always introduce me to the guy you're getting it from. I could maybe take over for you and, and help you out. That was a big ask. That I did know. Buzz looks at me and looks out the front windscreen thinking. Thought to myself, fuck, I've blown this. Buzz looks me in the eye. You're sure you're not a cop? Buzz, mate, I'm sure. I think I would know if I was. I am definitely not a copper. Let me think about it and I'll speak to him and give you a call in a few days, Buzz said. I can't ask for more than that, mate. Thanks, I appreciate it. So where do you want me to drop you? I ended up dropping him on the side of the road just around the corner from his place. I then went and met up with my controller and told him about the conversation. It was then I found out that Buzz was dealing to a third and possibly fourth UC as well. Some people never learn. But I was feeling quietly confident that I would get the introduction. Meanwhile, I was still trying to get Danny to set up meetings with new targets. Well, he had told us, my controller and myself, about a woman he knew who was dealing on the opposite side of town to which he lived and hung out. He was pretty coy about how he knew her, but he had given good information so far that we'd figured we might as well see where this was going to go. She was a Vietnamese woman. Danny called her and the deal was set up. We were going to go and meet her in the car park of a local tavern, which at that time was one of the roughest pubs in town. Think sawdust on the floor type place. During the day, it was dodgy looking. Even the restaurant you wouldn't willingly walk into for a fee. Now the car park was on the intersection of a major arterial road and another very heavily used during the day. Of a night time, not so much, but during the day, there was a lot of traffic. So we head off to the meet location. I pull into the car park and Danny directs me towards a white Ford station wagon that looked like it had three people in it with a female driver. The target was already there waiting for us. I pull my car up and turn to Danny, getting ready to get out. Danny looks at me and asks me for the money. Mate, you need to get your skinny ass over there and get them to let me do the buy. I'm not giving you any money. He started to protest, but I cut him off. No, mate, go. So Danny gets out of my car and walks at 25 metres or so over to the target's car. Goes to the driver's door and has a conversation, looking back nervously at me. Then he comes back to my car, gets in the passenger seat and looking dejected says, they will only sell to me this time. Then next time they promise to meet you. I exploded and told him he was going to jail. I'd had enough. I gave him the $100 because we really needed an in to this target and told him that he could only buy it if they agreed to meet me right now and sell to me next time. Okay, okay, he said. He gets out, goes back to the car. Fuck, I thought to myself, he has screwed me again, the little shit. I had a thought that I'd just get out of the car and go over there and introduce myself. Then I thought better off it. I was outnumbered and I didn't really know who they were. I can see Danny pointing over to me and then handing the money to the target. I can clearly see her shaking her head as if to say no. Then there is some conversation with the people in the back of the car. 
Danny then fidgets around a bit and then comes back toward my car. As he is doing this, the target starts their car and takes off. I was furious. You could see the look on Danny's face. It was somewhere between being pleased with himself, but also being aware that he had stuffed up. He gets back in the car and hands me the packet. What the fuck? I yell at him. They said they were meteors coming back to get you. Bullshit, I roared. I was pissed off. I then did something that was completely out of character for me, but in hindsight, was the best thing I could have done. I reached back behind and pulled out my gun from where it was sitting. In my jeans in the small of my back. Yes, like a real gangster carry. I grabbed him by the shirt, dragged him across the car and put my gun in his face and yelled, this is the last time you little piece of shit. If this happens again, I'm going to pull this trigger in your mouth and bury you in the bush. Do you understand? His eyes were as wide as saucers and I could feel him trembling. He certainly didn't expect that response and to be honest, I didn't either. It just happened. He nodded his head furiously. He couldn't speak as I had a gun jammed in his mouth. When I relented, he said, Okay, Mick, okay, I will introduce you next time. I said, To every person, Danny. This shit of you snipping the buys stops today. Next time, you'll introduce me to every person or else, and I will do the buy. Understood? I managed to calm down a bit and put my gun away. Danny was shitting himself. He didn't know what to do. I composed myself and we drove off. I took him back to the local shopping center near his house and dropped him off. Remember, I said, from now, every single time I get introduced, Danny. He slowly nodded his head, looking down at his feet. He then quickly got out of the car and scurried off. Luckily, I was able to take down the number plate of the car. Of course, it was unregistered, but we did get the details of the owner. But I never did a second buy with them. There were a few of those type of targets. A few days after that innocent, Incident, I got a call from Buzz. He had agreed to introduce me to his supplier. He had organized a meeting for later that day in a park not far from where Buzz lived and the local area I was operating mostly. I went and picked up Buzz from the street corner where he usually met me. Again, I knew where these people lived, but I was rarely taken to their homes. I think they thought that if they didn't take me there, then I wasn't going to be able to find them if I was a copper not the case because we had things like surveillance and phone or electricity or even driver's license records and in Buzz's case we had court records but still I mostly picked people up off the street corners parks or car parks of shopping centers or pubs after some pleasantries Bob Buzz gets all serious Mick I'm going to drop out for a while I'm going to introduce you but then I don't want to deal with you anymore okay mate yeah that's fine is something wrong I said no, I'm just going to keep a low profile after being arrested, he replied. I knew there was something, but I didn't push it. Buzz directs me to this park and there is a Toyota Corona park there. We pull up behind it and Buzz gets out and goes over to it. He has a conversation with the driver and then comes back to my car and gets in. Mate, Wayne is okay to meet you. You need to go up to his car though. And what are you going to do? I asked. I'll just wait here, he replied. Now, I wasn't really happy with the idea way of Buzz waiting in my car, but if I took the keys, I knew he wasn't, going, he wasn't going to drive off and steal it. My biggest concern was whether I had left anything incriminating in it. Thankfully, I didn't have my tape recorder as this was just a meet and not a buy, nor was it or the microphone in the light cavity. I was going to have my phone on me so he couldn't check that, although in those days, it would have been a last number of dial or call which would have been 
his anyway. I was racking my brain for anything at all that was going to give me away. Couldn't think of anything. My wallet, I thought to myself, did I have my real bank card in it? Now, I've been told a story of a previous UC who had been found out by the simplest of ways, his own personal bank savings card, what we now use for FPOS or tap and go, etc. When you are living in a safe house, you try to not have too much of your own personal stuff like ID, etc. Just in case you get broken into or a target comes over. Having been broken into, I can vouch for that. Anyway, this UC had been under for about six months and it appears he had become quite close with the target's daughter, who was about the same age. Obviously a no-no and obviously fraught with danger, but he fell quite hard from the story we were told, as did she. So she would come and stay at his place occasionally, which became more and more frequent. So where do you hide your personal ID or bank card then if your target's daughter is always at your house and generally has access to all your things? A butter container in the fridge, of course. Yep, you heard that right. He hid it in a butter container like the one you buy at Coles or Woolies. He always did the cooking when she was there and he could head her off if she ever decided she needed butter or anything. But there was this one time. There is always just this one time. There was some form of celebration, I believe, now, look, I think there was a suggestion of an engagement. Yes, it was an improbable relationship. The target, his wife and the daughter were coming around for dinner to the safe house to celebrate. Now, this was nothing out of the ordinary. Apparently, the target often came to the safe house. This occasion was going to be very different. You see, the daughter had decided she will arrive early and cook something special for dinner. Now, she knows the UC is out, but she also has a spare key. She goes in and starts to prepare dinner. As you would expect, the house is clean. No police or real persona information is left lying around or anywhere where it could be located. The daughter slash girlfriend starts cooking. She has a number of ingredients with her, but what she really needs is more butter. She goes to the fridge, picks up the butter container, hears something rattle, opens it, and what does she see? a bank card and ID in a completely different name to the fake name the UC was using. Now, I am guessing she thought that was a bit odd. Nonetheless, she kept cooking. The UC comes home and comes inside. I don't believe he was surprised by the fact that the daughter-girlfriend was there. Now, she didn't confront him there and then. No, she didn't say anything. The UC goes off and has a shower to get ready for the dinner and the target and his wife coming over. There would have been general banter about their day, etc., but still no mention of the bank card. So, the target and his wife arrive. The UC seats everyone at the table. There is conversation, drinks and laughter. The daughter-slash-girlfriend goes to get dessert, and as she puts it down on the table, she casually drops the bank card and ID in front of the UC. And who is this person? She asked him. Now, I can imagine time standing still. That oh-fuck moment. When your mind starts to race at a million miles an hour and you're trying to work out, do I lie? Do I tell the truth? Where is my escape route? What will happen if I tell the truth? Do I think the target would actually kill me? All of this in a split second. So the target and his wife are sitting there looking at him. The daughter slash girlfriend is standing there looking at him. If it was me, I would have lied, come up with some fanciful story, started an argument with the daughter-girlfriend and got the target and his wife out of the safe house on the premise that there was an argument that needed sorting out. He apparently copped to the whole thing. The real name, the fact he was a copper, the operation, everything. 
Needless to say, that operation closed down very quickly after that. We were never told what happened to the UC. I believe he was moved out of the UC squad and went back into uniform. I don't believe he was ever sacked from the force. But it is a hell of a story to tell your grandkids. But what it does show is that humans are unpredictable. A bit like Buzz when he asked me whether I was a cop after being arrested in the other operation. He just wanted me to tell him I wasn't so he could believe me and not listen to his little inner concern that something wasn't right about me. He wanted me to reassure him that everything was all right. Thankfully, he didn't look through my car. Anyway, I walk over to Wayne's car and get in the front seat. Now, this wasn't a buy, just a meet to see if he would do business with me. Wayne says to me, so you're Mick? Yes, mate, I replied. Buzz tells me you are happy to sell to me. Did he now, Wayne says. Yes, mate, I thought that was what we were doing here, setting that up. I said, how much and how often do you want to get on? Wayne asked me. Oh, mate, I was thinking a quarter ounce, maybe every two weeks. Would that work for you? I replied. And where are you selling it? He asked. Mate, I have some customers over the other side of town in the suburb, Dame, in, in the suburb area. Look, I want to be like you, selling more and making money. Now, I had a brief thought that maybe I'd push too hard. What with Buzz getting arrested and him thinking that I was a cop, which I was pretty sure he had said to Wayne. Right, give me your number and I'll give you a call in a day or two and let you know, he says to me. So I gave him a number, got out of Wayne's car and walked back to mine. I get in and Buzz looks at me. All good, Buzz, he's going to give me a call. If he can get me gear, you're out, mate. Buzz just nods his head and tells me to take him back to the place I picked him up and drop him off. There was very little conversation on the way back and that was probably the last time I saw Buzz. He had already sold me a substantial amount of heroin, enough for him to go down for trafficking. I do know that he got picked up when my operation closed a few weeks later, and also in the third one, about a month after that, the poor bugger. Wayne gave me a call a few days later and said he was okay to sell to me. I thanked him and said I'd call him back to organise a time to meet and buy the quarter ounce. We had worked out who Wayne was and surveillance, along with old-fashioned police work, had managed to get a good idea of who he was buying his gear from. It was decided that we would do a buy-bust on Wayne and pick him up in the close-down of the operation. I rang him and we organised to meet at about 11am on the day of the operation close. He gave me the location, which was the same park we had met at the last time. Now, remember in the last episode where I was heading along, heading to buy heading to a buy-bust when I saw Tommy Van Dang crossing the road? Well, this is the buy-bust I was heading to. So my adrenaline levels were already peaking at this stage given I had just had a run-in with Tommy. The plan was pretty simple. Wayne had said to pull up behind him. He would come and get in my car and we would do the deal. Money to him, drugs to me. Now, remember how I said that I had the drug squad detect his phone number on speed dial on my phone? Well, there was a very good reason for that. The location we were going to was a pretty good one for Wayne. There weren't a lot of places a police car full of detectives could sit and watch what was going on without being obvious. We had done a recce of the area the day before. The plan was simple. I wasn't going in with any money. I was going to get him to hand me the drugs, then I was going to push the speed dial, and when the phone rang, that was the cue for the cavalry to come before I had to give Wayne the non-existent $6,000. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Like I said, at that time, mobile phones had only just become a thing. The infrastructure was almost non-existent. 
That meant there were a lot of dead spots where there simply was no service. The drug squad and marked car pulled up around the corner in their pre-allocated position. Remember, they didn't have any line of sight. It was go time, all on the phone ringing. I drive on and pull up behind Wayne's car. My police training of giving a car's length kicked in, kicked in, which meant I wasn't boxed in and could speed out if I wanted to. I gave him a wave and watched him get out of his car and walk to mine, fully expecting him to come to the passenger side. Now, instead of getting in my car, he comes to the driver's side window, which I hadn't planned for. I wind down my window. Wayne, I said. Mick, how are you? He asked. Yeah, good, good. You're not getting in the car? No, no, I'll stay out here, he said. Now, this was awkward. The plan was to have him contained in my car so he couldn't do a runner when the cavalry arrived. I'm sitting in my car. I'd taken my seatbelt off and I had my flip phone in the handbrake well open with my finger hovering above the recall button. Wayne then says to me, You know, Buzz thought you were a copper, a narc. Fuck off, I said. Really? Mate, he was just paranoid after getting done. Yeah, I know. That's what I told him. I said, don't be stupid, Buzz. Mick isn't a copper. I'll deal with him and you don't have to, Wayne said. Thanks, mate. I appreciate that, I said. Now, do you have the gear? Yep. Do you have the money, he asked. Yeah, sure. It's just here in my glove box. Let me get it for you, I said. Press... Off goes the call. Or so I thought. Seems I was in a dead spot, wasn't I? Now, I couldn't see the phone, but I was expecting lights and sirens within maybe 10 seconds of me pressing the button. Crickets. Here I am, sitting in a car with someone who has been told by another dealer they think I'm an undercover cop. I'm fumbling around for the money. I don't know if he was a violent man, if he had a weapon, a knife, or a gun. No friendly police sounds, and I was starting to panic. So I fumbled with the glove box, making excuses and cursing. Mate, I locked it. Sorry, I didn't want to get didn't want it to get stolen. You know, it's a lot of money. I said as I fumbled the key out of the ignition into the glove box. Press, press, press. And then, like my favourite song, song coming on at a club, I heard the sweetest sound known to a UC doing a buy bust. Police sirens. Fuck cops, Wayne says. Here, take this. I'll get the money from you another time. Now take off and don't get fucking caught. Are you sure, mate? I said, looking over my shoulder at the ever closer cars. Yes, now fuck off, drive. And I did just that. I took off at a million miles an hour. I don't know if Wayne thought it was strange or not at the time, but the cars just stopped at him. They didn't bother to chase me, even after he told the police they had just missed Mr. Big and had had at least a quarter ounce on me and $6,000 in the car. So I'd have back to the drug squad officers my controller with the quarter ounce, Logit, and happy days. When the detectives eventually get back, I ask them, why didn't you come the first time I called? We didn't get a call, he said. Mate, I must have pressed send like six or seven times, I said. I was running out of excuses for not giving in the money. Yeah, well, when we had been sitting there for a little bit, we thought it was a bit strange not getting a call. We looked down at our phones and there was no signal. I'm guessing that was the same for you. It was at that point I decided to come in blazing. I am certainly glad you did. I'll give you the tip, I said laughing. The team raided Wayne's house and some other associated places and found, you guessed it, quantities of heroin. They also found large stashes of cash. Wayne was charged and convicted of trafficking in heroin. At the closure of that operation, we took over 10 targets off the street, broke up three syndicates, or gathered enough information to break them up and took a substantial amount of heroin off the streets as well. 
As with the cycle of life, I'm sure that some of them turned informant, doing to another drug dealer what had been done to them. The trials, convictions, appeals and final sentences took well over four years until they were all done. I was still attending court well after I had left the squad and well after I had left the police. The operation closed and I went and got married that weekend. It was a bender of a night where everyone had a good time. Most of the squad attended as did my mates from uniform. It felt right being coppers again at that moment. But after a two week honeymoon, it was back to work and my next operation. Thank you for listening to Whisper in the Shadows, my true stories of a real life undercover cop. I hope you've enjoyed that episode. In the next one, we'll explore more exciting stories from my operations. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Lastly, if you're an ex-COVID operative or undercover police officer, I would love to chat to you about your experiences. Or if you're feeling dangerous, tell your stories on my podcast. Please get in contact by my email, which is whisperintheshadowspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to you joining me next time.